Hello, podcast listener. If you're a fan of the 100-plus episodes of the United Podcast, you can show your appreciation by voting for us on the Sports Podcast Awards. Head to sportspodcastawards.com and click Vote Now. You'll find us in the Best Team Podcast category. We'll include a link and info in this episode's description. Thank you, and please enjoy this week's episode. And Gibson off the post and in by little Terry Gibson. And Gibson shot. And number three... Gibson has completed a hat-trick. What a marvellous day for Terry Gibson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans. And there is no David May. There's no David May. He's not here. He's making a habit of this, Sam. Yeah, but also, so last time I think he was playing golf. I actually don't know where he is this time. It's got to be golf. He just doesn't want to say again, I'm playing golf. It's that or he's servicing his beer machine. What else does he do? No, in his defence, I think he was in Spain last week. Yeah, he was on a flight, wasn't he? He wasn't playing golf, he was on a flight. Let's face it, he will have played golf in Spain. Yes, no doubt about it. <laughs> there's, al- there's always a golf. That or he's been making a lot of dough, hasn't he? He's been making pizza dough, yes, which you've been yeah. helping him with. Yeah, because he's got um, he's bought himself a pizza oven, so he's probably doing that. But he should be here because I think he would really like to chat to Terry Gibson. I know, we've, we had him on a show on MUTB a lot of years back and he's a great guy great talker great voice well I mean I don't know him I've not met him until yeah but you've, I do. you know his voice but from exactly, yeah I was going to say his voice is iconic isn't it Spanish everyone knows football, his voice yeah. mm-hmm. pretty amazing uh, but also really interesting time that he was at the club like he was there for the end of well I guess all of Ron Atkinson and then well not all of but some of and then the beginning of Sir Alex which is a really interesting period in the club's history mm-hmm. in that, that people always talk about that sort of change of culture and the, the the difference he made I wonder how much of that Terry will remember or be aware of or what parts of his journey he is thinking of in that era I don't know yeah and I think we've asked quite a lot of our guests because we've heard quite a lot from that era what the main differences were between Big Ron and Sir Alex coming in but it's still interesting to get everyone else's opinion on that yeah fascinating like the I mean nobody knew it did they but it was the beginning of the greatest era in football history perhaps oh that's goosebumps (laughs) (laughs) yeah signed by Big Ron obviously left under Sir Alex Ferguson probably didn't get the amount of games they would he would have liked at Manchester United, but still had an incredible career and won the FA Cup. Yeah, he did. And then after that, he was a scout, and then he was a he's a commentator. He was what a coach, I think, at Northern Ireland. He was a coach at Northern Ireland. Yeah, friend of Laurie Sanchez. He's done it all. He's properly he's properly done football. He has. Let's get him on. Perfect. Here he is, Terry Gibson. Terry Gibson, welcome to United Podcast. My pleasure to be here. Back at Old Trafford, always a pleasure. When was the last time you were here? I commentated, actually, for MUTV on a game where Radamel Falcao played for the reserves when Louis van Gaal was manager. Was that the last time you were here? Yes, and Victor Valdez was in goal because the game was here. And because I guess there was a Spanish connection with, which we talk about later with Valdez being Mm ex-Barcelona and Falcao playing for Atletico, they asked me to come and commentate on the game. And you know, it was really, it was great to be here up, up in the gantry and everything um i came here once afterwards to do some stuff for the radio for, against celta vigo in the europa league i think that was wasn't it semi-final so I, I don't get to come here often so it's a real pleasure how does it feel now that you are sat here and you can look out at the pitch over the seats and sort of take in the sub-obby it's, it's changed a, a little bit since the time i was here 
but it's still a magnificent stadium. And, and when you come here, driving down the road, you see it from a distance, you think, I used to play Berlin. Not much. <laughs> Not as much as I would have liked to, but it's uh, still, you're proud that you managed to play for one of the biggest clubs in the world and in one of the most iconic, famous stadiums in world football. Yeah, because a lot of our younger listeners won't know much about your football career, but they'll know your voice, your iconic yeah. voice. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Did you just kind of fall into commentary after football or how did that come about? Yeah, no, I it was um, something I'd, I'd quite fancied doing, but I was coaching after my playing career. Yeah. And there was a, a spell where I became coach in Northern Ireland um, and it was a part-time job mm-hmm. and it was a match fee basis, salary only. So I was going to be skinned while I was manager of Northern Ireland. Um, I anticipated doing it for about a year because that's all I could afford, to be honest. Um, doing a year of earning £500 a game of about 10 games a year was not going to be enough to keep going for long. So I combined it and I had to find a role where I could play um, coach Northern Ireland for those 10-day mm-hmm. trips that you have and work at a football club. And it was really hard because if you coach, unless you got a job as a first-team coach at, in a Premier League club, because I'd, I'd just left Wickham Wanderers, they played through the international breaks. So if you've got a job lower down the leagues, they still play when the international breaks are on, so which that meant you couldn't go and leave yeah. for 10 days, two weeks and join up. So I, I came up with the idea of being a, a scout abroad. Um, what do you mean you came up with the idea? Well, I, I knew one or two clubs were, were looking at... Yeah. They didn't ha- well, I knew at that time not many clubs had scouts that went and lived abroad and okay. concentrated on the league. So I got in touch with a couple of my old teammates from different clubs who were managers. Sam Allardyce was manager of Bolton. Um, so I started working for Bolton as their Spanish-based scout, which meant when the international breaks were on, I could yeah. travel with Northern Ireland and, mm-hmm. and do my stuff there. And I did it for one year for Bolton and then another three years for Manchester City. So mm. the Northern Ireland job lasted four years. So you do the maths, it's like 20 grand over four years in terms of salary. So plus the scouting gig wasn't that profitable either. But it was, you know, it was one of the happiest, it was a massive turning point in my life because I went and did that for four years. So I was watching Spanish football every week, travelling around Spain. Um, and then it, Sky Sports obviously had the Spanish football coverage. And I was working with Jerry Armstrong with Northern Ireland. And Jerry used to ring me up at the games. He was working for Sky. He would ring me up if I was in Seville. And I'd give him the teams before he got them back in the UK. And eventually Sky said, do you fancy having a go? Come over and do a couple of games. So, and then it went on for 12 years. I did about 100 games a year. How did, did, did you enjoy it? Did you find it easy? Did you initially? Did you think, oh, this is a bit weird talking to a microphone, trying to watch the game? Yeah, and- no, I, I yes, it is. I mean, it, it, you you rely on people you work with. Same as any industry, you, they point you in the right direction. The commentators that we all work with, that I've worked with over the years at Sky, were all lovely guys, and they were really helpful. And some of the producers and directors, little point pointers they give you as well, and then. The, they say that if you don't hear anything back and you just keep getting asked back, you're doing okay. So every week you'd wait, see what your email was, see if you got any games, <laughs> how many games you got. And it ended up Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday for about 10 years and Champions League games and any any link to any Spanish football. So South American World Cup qualifiers I used to do for Sky, as I say, Champions League games involving Spanish teams. So I was I was really fortunate. At the time when I first started doing it, I was... Not sure whether I wanted to stay in coaching or, but as soon as I started doing it and realised I enjoyed it, then 
that was, you know, as long as people would have me and give me work, that was the, the, the thing I wanted, I wanted to do and, and love doing. And what are you doing now? Are you still doing the commentary and anything else? Yep, I still work I, on Spanish football. Um, yeah. It's not on Sky anymore. There's a channel called La Liga TV, um, which is on the Sky platform, mm-hmm. promoting it here. Yeah. Um, Keep going. You've, you've mentioned Sky already at times so <laughs> no, far. No, no, I'm not Sky. And, and it's um, based in Barcelona. So I go out every two or three oh. weeks and do a weekend's work, which is off the scale in terms of... Yeah hard work I mean, people go oh, it must be lovely which is the reaction you get but we do last I've just been this weekend and we did Saturday midday to half past midnight and then we do that again Sunday and then I did a Monday night program and come back Tuesday oh. so you get 12 hours. we do every game we do an hour and a half before the games start on a Saturday wow. an hour and a half at the end and the same again on Sunday and we do half times and, and yes. post-match pre-match and commentate I go and co-commentate on the game as well so you, it's quite weird. You're sitting in the studio and they introduce the co-commentators and you're in the studio yeah. and then you run upstairs <laughs> and pretend you're in a different That's part of That's proper hard work that time, isn't it? Yeah, sounds like a lot. We don't want to get to that level. It's quite It's quite <laughs> nice just sitting back, having a chat with people. This is easy. About their lives, yeah, it's much easier. I love easier. it though, but it's just at the end of it, you come out and you go, what has happened in the rest of the world? Yeah. Sometimes you, so you, so you get a 12-hour 12 12 gap in between. So by the time you finish on the Saturday night, you've got 12 hours to sleep, eat, and then Listen to back podcasts. on again. Yep. Do you do that? Yes, still do a podcast. We, so we, we try and fit them in a couple of times a week on Spanish football. Have you ever listened to our podcast? No, I haven't, no. What? It must be honest. You need to download to that. All that, all that travelling. <laughs> We've got over 100 episodes. You Plenty of issues from. Yeah, exactly. Plenty here's of your old teammates too. Here's a question I want to know the answer to. When you were scouting... Anybody that you brought over that you were pretty proud of that we'd all go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, Pablo Zabaleta. Oh, what yeah. a shout. He was at Espanyol at the time. And I actually did it for a year for Bolton and three years for Man City and Stuart Pearce was, was manager. And to be fair, Man City, this was before City had any money. Mm-hmm. And Stuart was, I mean, I spoke to Sam Allardyce regularly, but Stuart used, used to come out for a, a, on a Sunday. I'd pick him up at... Malaga Airport, or Seville Airport, and drop him straight back after the game, and he flew back. And so he was—he was really keen on trying to get some bargains at the time. And I think Stuart had left the club, but the system that was in place remained. And they bought Zabaleta for about five million euros, I think, from Espanyol. So it was him. Martin Petrov was another one that, that came over to Manchester City as well. But in my opinion, a lot of clubs. I've worked for clubs ever since as well. Nothing else has happened. <laughs> it is, it's bizarre that they, they ring you and ask you and in some cases pay you a, a salary, consultancy fee, and then never do anything. So it's, weird, uh, it? yeah, it is weird. Probably enough about City as well yeah. for this specific podcast. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back to the very beginning. You grew up in Walthamstow. I did, yes. Which is in London for everybody who's not totally aware. West London. Yeah. Yep. What was that? like for you did you have brothers did you have sisters what was your family setup yeah dad's was a lorry driver mum was a cleaner um two younger sisters and i feel bad for them because they were dragged around hackney marshes in wanstead flats where i used to play every saturday and sunday dad driving me everywhere and doing their best to get me a pair of boots now and then um, but it was it was really enjoyable. I mean, Hackney Marsh is an iconic mm-hmm. place where a lot of people. It was ridiculous. I mean, you, 100 and 
over 100 pitches in one yeah. field. There were, the goalposts were white on the front and green on the back because when you're running through on goal, the goals from each pitch were so close to each other, you could tell the difference between the one that was green and the one that was white. And that was that was great fun. And, and I spent you know some really happy times playing for a couple of teams there. One called Tiger, which was a Sunday morning team, which is a really famous East London football club as well, where lots of players have come out of and made professional careers. And we played on a Saturday for a team called Morningside, but it was the same players and the same manager, <laughs> just had two different names. Um, <clears throat> so that was that was great. And then you get to an age where clubs start looking at taking an interest in you, which is far different from now because I played till I was about 13, I think, without with the freedom of playing for my school, playing for my district. Um, you weren't invited to a club till you were 14. And then it was, a if you're any good, you know, you, you had the, the issue of, picking which club you, you wanted to sign for. And your big love was Spurs? Yes, it was, yeah. Um, that was it, Dad was a Spurs fan, mm-hmm. so there was no choice. Um, currently doing that with my grandson at the moment. I failed him, my son. <laughs> He's a Man United fan. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, we, uh, yeah, five-year-old grandson. Keeps How come your son is a Man United fan? He fell in love with Eric Cantona. Right, okay. Very sensible First kit he had was the black number seven, which was yeah. the famous one from Crystal Palace. Yeah. His, his moment there. Collar up. Yep. So he's, uh, yeah, no, Eric Cantona switched him on to Man United, Joshua, and he hasn't changed since. So he's a Man United fan, but your grandson is Spurs? No, he hasn't picked oh, anything not- yet. Oh, right, yeah, okay. No, he's only four. Oh, okay. So he came home from school the other day and said to his dad, who's a really... Big Spurs fan. My friend told me I can support the Arsenal and the Spurs. Every oh team's dear. got a bird on the front of it. And he's doing, don't you? <laughs> Any other team, yeah, I feel like Arsenal. A, a four-year-old can obviously support two sides, doesn't make that Oh, he loves the sense, Crystal Palaces He can't well. pick those two, I don't think. <laughs> no, and the Crystal Palaces. For some reason, the Crystal Palaces have propped up. So I, my son, he's you know, a massive Man United fan and... It's been fun over the years. Yeah, but so who did you idolise as a child? I idolised a player called Steve Perriman, Mm -hmm. who was the captain of Spurs. He was a teenager when I first started going to watch Spurs, and he's a friend now. So it's uh, and I was lucky to play alongside him. Mm -hmm. Um, He was my hero. Prior to that, I just caught the back end of Jimmy Greaves as well. So of course he was a massive idol for for Spurs fans Mm -hmm. too. So. To go to Spurs, I had a choice because I ended up playing for England schoolboys and or S- London, Essex, England schoolboys. And by that time, Manchester United as well. And parents went to, invited by Manchester United. So I was probably 13, 14. I think it was an FA Cup final at Wembley. Manchester United wined and dined them. Um, might have been Southampton, I think. Was it 76, something like that? So it might have been that cup final. And at the time, they, the day they went, they loved it. They looked after. I was playing in Belgium for Anderlecht. So I was going out there every school holiday playing for Anderlecht. Um, How did that come about? They they just heard that I was scoring goals and they invited me out. And I went out and had a couple of tournaments for them. And At age 13, did you say? I was 13, 14. No yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and I look back now and I think some of the things you used to be oh allowed to, word, I used to travel yeah. all over London on a bus and a tube at like 11, 12, 13 years old and then off to Belgium on my own. And like, did you just fly on your own? Ferries and stuff. There was there was adults in England that took me as well and a boy yeah. my age who, there was, they were a Belgium family used to look after me. 
So I used to travel with them out to Brussels and play for Anderlecht. And Anderlecht at that time were a massive club because they had really famous players. They were winning the European Cup Winners' Cup. They won the European Super Cup. So it was one of the big clubs in, in Europe. And I had to choose the, the choice in the end came down to Anderlecht and, and Spurs. Um, Spurs were friendly enough though because they knew I think they knew because of my love for Spurs and I was always there training and whatever and school holidays they felt comfortable they could let me go to Anderlecht for the experience and, yeah. and they kind of knew that my heart was going to be at Spurs But you must have been well wanted so Manchester United what, what's the, what was the process back then they contact your family and say we're interested in your son come along watch the FA Cup final as guests and Yeah but something with football it was a scout it was well known, actually. I, for the life of me, I can't forget it. Pigeon, Mr. Pigeon, I think his name was. And he was at all the games in London. So they had a presence in London where they could pick the best players and and invite them to Old Trafford. I never actually came to Manchester United to train or anything like that. Um, but they wanted me to sign. And it was weird, really, because I, I had the choice of every single club in the top division. Apart from Liverpool, wow! Liverpool were the only one that were They've always never, had bad never taste. made, yeah, never made any contact. But because we were playing for England schoolboys, there's a small group of about fifteen of us that get the choices of you know that most of the clubs in in, in England wanted. Because when you got to fourteen and they signed you as a schoolboy, that that was the the first chance they had to make you commit to them, and and that's when they first owned you, I guess. And so what, Tommy Doherty was obviously a fan of you. Sorry, Sam, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, what what were what were you thinking at this point? What were your parents thinking? Were you thinking there might be a career here? This could be more than just something that's your passion. This this could change your life. We've got to pick really carefully. Did you feel pressured to do any of it? Or no, it was football was the be all and end all. Um, I left school a year earlier than I should have done. Um, when I look back now, I think how did my parents allow me to do that? Because the issue, the situation was I signed schoolboy films for Spurs. We used to train school holidays and Tuesday and Thursday nights. And then the year above me, they only had a year of three apprentice professionals. So now as where they're taking a lot more, there was just three. And three boys had to do the jobs that they had to do then, cleaning the boots, washing the kit sweeping the terraces, packing the kit up for games, all those jobs, and three wasn't enough. So Spurs actually said to me, do you fancy like coming in more more often? Which meant missing school, which meant I didn't do any exams at school whatsoever. Um, so I, I kind of unofficially left school, and then, and then the school got the ump. But the school only got the ump because I wasn't playing for the school football team. Uh. So they came to a compromise where on a day of a school match, I would go to school but do PE all day. So <laughs> I was walking around dressed like a PE teacher. It's madness. Um, I know. And, and I didn't do any, I literally didn't do any exams. I wasn't stupid and dark. Yes, did you, did you enjoy school? Did you, did you? Yeah, I did, wasn't anti-school or anything, but compared to going to Spurs yeah, and mixing with Steve Perriman, my hero mm-hmm. and the other players at Spurs and, you know, doing their boots and stuff. It was, it, school was always going to come second. So then eventually when I did become officially school leaving age, I was then able to sign apprentice forms. And presumably that was just straight away Tottenham, no question. Yep. Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, no, I'd already played for the reserves. Mm-hmm. I'd already played as a sub in a first team friendly as well when I was 15, 16. So I kind of felt there that, that there, was, there was attention being paid. I was lucky. It was a time where a new manager took over, Keith Birkinshaw, and he wanted to pay attention to young players coming through 
at Spurs as opposed to going out and buying players left, right and centre. So they concentrate for the first time. We had a, a proper under-16 team, which consisted of most of us turned apprentice. It was the year before, as I said, there was only three. So they, they didn't even have a team to, to, to play. Um, so it was the first sort of, it was a period of Tottenham tr- concentrating on young players and, and they made it a lovely place to go and train and play and coaching was great and people looked after you. So it was always going to be Spurs. Again. Who were you in competition with at that time? Who was who was playing in your position in the first team and in the younger teams? Well, I, I played, um, my first team debut was a few months after I officially left school. So I was 17 and six days old, um, December the 29th, 1979. And there was a bit of an injury crisis and they'd been scoring goals and I was five foot four, about four stone lighter than I am now. Um, nine and a half stone I was. And literally, I'd left school two, three months before that and got my opportunity in the first team against Stoke. Played okay. Um, I Did you score? No, we won one nil. First game we'd won for a while and I, I got into quite a bit of trouble because I was a bit physical, to be honest. <laughs> and I got beat up in the car park afterwards by a player. Did you actually? Stoked. Well, he threw me up against the wall and grabbed me around the throat. One For of my what teammates reason? had to hit him. I was, well, I, I, people that went to the game remember it. I must have met everybody that went there. It was like 30,000 people. And I, the manager said to me, you're going to have to look after yourself because I was small. And I just took it. <laughs> and then the first minute I got kicked up in the air, it was a player called Mike Doyle. It was against Stoke sitting there. Three or four really renowned hard men in the defence. And they picked on me early on and I just started giving it back and and uh, it was quite so, funny really so I was, there wasn't a specific me, the incident you just got stuck in through the game I got stuck in yeah um, I got taken off for about five minutes of the going by the time I got taken off my shirt was ripped from my neck down to my waist and I had a big stud mark down my neck where someone's mic dog stamped on me while I was on the floor and the crowd loved it I was this little Tottenham fan playing in the first yeah. team bullying some of these 30-year-old centre-backs. And my dog grabbed me in the car park after the game. It was dark. It was January, so it was dark at four o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. So it's a Saturday match and we come out afterwards and I'm walking across the car park. He was on the bus. He stopped the bus, got off the bus, came out, grabbed me round by the throat, threw me up against the wall. And one of my teammates, a player called John Pratt, who still laughs to it this day, came over and rescued me. Um, he was a 30-year-old mm. hard-man midfield player, so that was a fairer fight than a 17-year-old kid. And a <laughs> that is madness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, the, so literally, so that's the Saturday, and um, my next game was United in an FA Cup match at White Hart Lane. Um, so that was memorable. Um, we drew, and we played here three days later, and I kept my place. Um, and it, it was extra time, Spurs, the goalkeeper got stretched off with a bad fractured jaw and his cruciate lig- ligament injury in the same challenge. Um, Glenn Hoddle winning goal. Ah, uh, yeah. And Ozzy Ardilis scored the winning goal in the extra time. Yeah. That was, was that, that was Joe Jordan? It was Joe Jordan. Because we spoke to him about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was Joe. Yeah. Well, it was, it, say it was funny. It wasn't funny because it, just when you look back at it now and it, occasionally you see the footage, mm-hmm. Melia was being stretched off with what we thought was a, clearly a bad, bad head injury but we didn't know when he got knocked out in the air he landed and twisted his knee and did his cruciate knee ligament as well so he's on the, the tr- on the stretcher being carried off from Old Trafford 
and we're ripping his jump, his goalkeeper's jersey. His goalkeeper gloves together for Glen Hall. We had no yeah. goalkeeper, and we had no spare goalkeeping kit. So you he's could like, have he's a neck injury or anything. <laughs> Unconscious and Glenn Odell's ripping his jersey off him oh. and taking his glove before he can get stretched off. It wasn't till three days later we went and saw him in hospital because we were playing City two or three days later. So we stayed in Manchester. We went to visit him in hospital and his jaw was wide up and he was telling us his, about his knee. He hadn't been able to tell anyone that his knee was killing him and it, it, I think it's finished his career in the end. Wow. So his knee was actually worse than the jaw, believe it or not. So that was playing here at Old So Trafford. yeah, in your first three games. I know. And I actually, beat up. the Man United players threatened me and accused me. And it was. Um, Did you say you scored the winner? No, Ozzy uh, Ardidis got the right, winner. Okay. And a few of the Man United players moaned about my style of play as well. <laughs> um, Jimmy Nickel threatened that the usual stuff that mm-hmm. used to be going on then. That if I carried on like that. I'm, did it bother you? Did it, did it enter your mind that that was a worry? Or No, it bothered, the first five minutes of my first Spurs game bothered me because Mike Doyle kicked me up in the air mm-hmm. and he laughed at me. And that's when I thought, I, I, and I, I'm five foot four. I did silly things to try and build my body up. My dad tried silly things to build my body up when I was young. My dad bought, uh, he had made um, lorry wheels. Wheels from a lorry, he had welded to an iron bar. So it was like, a, it was back then you couldn't buy weights. So I used to do squats in my bedroom. It was weighed a ton. I was like, can you imagine two big lorry wheels yeah. welded to a big old iron bar as well. And I've got it on my neck and I'm doing squats in my bedroom. And he's bought me a sandbag um, where I'm doing car, uh, leg raises. I had the chest expander, everything you could think of. And this is all of. in your bedroom? You're- all in my bedroom, tiny little bedroom. And then Spurs said to me I needed to build myself up. I was, I was going to be too small. So that's why... It was, it was an issue, and they just told me to drink Guinness. I was like 15 years old, just start drinking Guinness and steak. We couldn't afford steak, so Guinness it was. But well, you could oh, afford Guinness, Well, yeah, my dad probably had a Guinness or two in the house at the time, so it was a small sip of Guinness. Um, so when my first five minutes of my debut, Mike Dog just went through the back of me and just laughed at me. That's when I thought, this is going to be an issue unless I fight back. Get the Guinness in at half time. Yeah, <laughs> so I fought back, and and it, it became an issue for I was. It was quite controversial at the time that I was I probably yeah. Some of the tackles I did were diabolical. Um, some of the tackles I got were diabolical, and some of these feuds carried on. Me and Jimmy Nickel, that feud carried on for another for years and years and years, and eventually we did have a fight, and I got sent off in, in when he was playing for West Brom, and that, that went all the way back to five or six years prior to that. That little bit of needle that was between the two of us. So that's it was different then. Yeah. It sounds different. <laughs> we didn't all get on with each other. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get on with each other with opposing teams like you see the players now. It's uh And do it, you when you watch modern day football, lots of people get annoyed that players from opposite teams are shaking hands in the before tunnel. Before the game, yeah, yeah. a bit Roy Keenish, I yeah. think when he's yeah. So you're but, old skill that way? You don't think there should be any No, after the game, fine. Yeah. I had no problem with that at all. But yeah, before the game you It's war. Warrior territory <laughs> and especially in the tunnel now, both teams come out together, don't they, and stuff yeah. like that. Was we never did that. We there was no hospitality shown to opposing players yeah. before the game and but maybe maybe after. And I suppose this is um, this is maybe a cliche, but the culture around simulation and diving is different country to country because different yep. 
people have different views on. So like in, I know in South America, it's just, it's just gamesmanship is another yeah. way to gain advantage, right? But from the stories you tell, that wouldn't have entered your mind. But doing La Liga, presumably, people were much more relaxed about it and you saw quite a lot of it. Did that bother you? Yeah, no, it, it, it still does. I mean, it's not as prevalent as it once was and there's not as big a difference between here and Spain now because yeah. we've got so many continental players playing in the Premier League and managers. Um, so there's not a massive difference anymore, but it, it did, yeah. It's And the, the, the sheer happiness surprised me out there when... Players got booked. The crowd has celebrated it like it was like a real big event. If anyone got sent off, the crowd was just like a goal. Um, so there is this, why you say, hence you see the players, coaches, Simeone still does it, waving a card mm-hmm. every 10 minutes of the game. It's That's the, the, the part of their culture, I guess. It's exciting. Um, yeah. At what yeah. age, Terry, or sorry, how long into being at Spurs did you make the move to Sweden then? And how did that come about? Yeah, it was. It was um, I was still at Spurs, and yeah. they loaned you to Scandinavia. They did it with the London boys. Their reasoning behind it was they thought it would get you away from mum and dad, and help you grow up. So, so you'd it was have quite six common. Months. That, yeah. So yeah. the club I went to, a player had gone the year before me. A player called yeah. Gary Brook. He'd been to the same club. Paul Miller was another first team player at Spurs. He'd been to Norway. So it was quite a regular thing that, that they used to send you out to, mm-hmm. to Sweden. And did you enjoy away. that? I did, yeah. It was, uh, it was tough going um, financially because I was earning about £90 a week at Spurs at the time. So I went out to Sweden and got £90 a week, which in Sweden, don't go anywhere. Yeah. Even back in 81, I think it was, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I got home six months later that I realised Spurs had been paying me the 90 quid a week as well as Sweden. So <laughs> I, it really would have helped. Um, but it, it, it was a good experience. They were a second division team in Sweden called Guys, G-A-I-S, which is still going, still in the second division. We shared a stadium with IFK Gothenburg. Right. And at the time, IFK Gothenburg won the European Cup Winners Cup, I think. So I was able to go and watch their game. Sven Goran Eriksson was manager and they had a load of famous players that at the time weren't famous but went off to play in Italy and Liverpool and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it, that, was, that was the most enjoyable part, not me playing, watching a team that, because we played in a massive stadium with 1,500 people in it, but you go and watch IFK Gothenburg and it was 30,000. Mm-hmm. They were the main team in Sweden and in, in Gothenburg. So, But the experience was good. Yeah. And it was meant to, to get you away from home comforts Stand on your own two feet, do you cooking, washing, and did, did, it, did, that, did that help you in that way? No, because my girlfriend came with me, <laughs> <laughs> who's my wife. Yeah, so I was 19, I, I smuggled her out there not to come and do my washing and cleaning. Yeah. And I'm sure. just, just you, for the record, love at 19 years of age. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, but my yeah, my parents didn't know they, <laughs> and then my about three months into it, my mum rang my wife. Wife, my girlfriend at the time, Paula, picked the phone up, and Mum went, "What are you doing there?" <laughs> That's amazing. Oh. Caps out of the bag. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of years later, you're leaving Spurs for Coventry. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Was that a decision you wanted to make? Was it the club? Well, I, I my last year at Spurs under my previous contract, because when I played as in the first team, I was an apprentice. I got signed professional straight as soon as I they could, um, and that was like a three or four year deal. And it, I had a tough time, actually, because, I, mind you, I was 17. And then Spurs signed Garth Crooks and Steve Archibald. 
and it was big, the beginning of a really good period and they were older than me, they were better than me, they were formed a brilliant partnership. So for sort of two years, it was hard. I didn't get a game. But I was 17, 18, 19, so it wasn't a major issue. But in my last year of my contract, I played a lot. I played the last 20, 25 games of the season. And there was always this problem about being small, playing up front or playing on the wing. People wanted me to be a winger <clears throat> and I wanted to be a centre forward. And I got seven goals in eight games playing up front and they signed Alan Brazil. So I then went on the wing, which wasn't the worst thing in the world. I was still playing for Spurs, still playing in the first team and played right to the end of the season. And my contract was up and I thought I'd been told I'd get a new deal. And I got a letter in the post um, about a week before pre-season training saying, this is your deal, one-year contract, £50 a week rise, take it or leave it. So I just threw a bit of a hissy fit. Um, and thought I should get longer than one year and went in and said, no, I'm not signing. Um, and it caused some problems pre-season because back then you, there was no freedom of contract. So they could have kept me there another three years on my old deal until someone come along and paid a transfer fee mm -hmm. or someone come along and took the chance of taking it to what was then an in, uh, independent transfer tribunal where people don't understand this. It, you, they went and they decided, you know, independent tribunal decided a fee, which is really wrong. So it's, I'm glad that eventually Bosman was able to prove that it was illegitimate to keep yeah. players under a contract that, that had finished. And, and I didn't really want to leave. If Spurs had come back to me and said two years, I would have stayed. So it was a bit of gamesmanship on my part. Mm -hmm. And also I was standing my ground. And I played in a pre-season reserve friendly against a team called Luz in the South Coast. Mm -hmm. And we won six something and I scored five. And the manager of Coventry's brother, Bobby Gould, his brother Trevor, Trevor was manager of Luz. And he rang his brother up who'd just taken the Coventry job and told him to sign me. So I went into Spurs on the Monday morning after that game on the Saturday and they just went, you can go. And were you were you upset to go? No, no, no. By that time, I'd, I'd yeah. had the ump. Um, I knew they weren't going to offer longer than a year. So, and I was really cheesed off. Did it, it, it ended up being the right move because you had a really successful yeah. time at Coventry? It was great. I mean, I, I went to Coventry my first day there. Bobby Gould took over and he had, literally had no players. So I drove up to Coventry and no agent then, of course. Um, go to the training ground and there was literally eight players training. The rest of them left. They'd, they'd, they'd just yeah. changed the manager. The other manager was Dave Sexton and he was really popular. And because Coventry sacked him, a lot of players left the club as well because they were annoyed mm -hmm. that Dave Sexton had gone. So Bobby took over with no players. And this is five or six days before the first game of the season. So I got there and I looked around the training ground and think, that can't be everyone here. I didn't even know any of them. <laughs> None of them were famous enough for me to know. I know him. and I, well, There was a couple. Jerry Daly, former Man United player, was one of them. And... I spoke to Bobby Gould after training. He said, this is what we're offering. It was a three-year deal. You're going to be playing first-team football. Take it or leave it. You've got 10 minutes. <laughs> so I thought, 10 minutes? I said, well, I've got, just got married. My wife's down in London. I've got no mobile phone. Yeah. Um, I rang home. She weren't in. So that's the end of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So I've then got to make a decision, yes or no. So I went in and said, yep, took it. Drove home and she'd found it out on television that I'd left Spurs and gone to Coventry. So when I got home, there was 
tears and the next wow. morning we packed everything up and drove up to a hotel in Coventry and pitched up there for and did, were you involved in getting any more players on board yourself? No, no, no. It was it was funny because it was like a, we we all stayed in the same hotel. So it was like every night twelve players that recently signed for the club were eating together in this hotel with. It, so it meant a really good spirit mm-hmm. amongst a whole group of new players. It wasn't as if just one or two of you coming in. It was ten or eleven, twelve yeah. new players all signing at the same time. We met one player an hour before kickoff on the first day of the season. He met us at Watford, Mickey Gin. He went on to play, play in the cup final and won the cup with Coventry. We we didn't know him. He turned up from Peterborough an hour before kickoff and threw the kit on and oh my word, that's had a blind. Crazy. We won as well. We won that game <laughs> and we went on this silly run which ended up beating Liverpool 4-0 just before Christmas. We were fourth in the league. I scored a hatch against Liverpool. It was a match of the day. It was a really lovely story because a lot of the players had come from lower league clubs, Peterborough, Nuneaton, Lincoln, Shrewsbury, Stuart Pearce came from Wealdstone. And we had this ridiculous run of form. And then it all, <laughs> we, we, we crashed and burnt after that, oh. that to win the last game of the season to stay up. Wow. So, yeah, I think we were about 15 games without a win. But for a period where we beat Liverpool, I think in the same week we drew with Man United and we were flying. But so it was, commentary was, it was fun. Um, I just wish the club had been run differently, but it's been like that forever. Um, but the second year I was there, we had to win the last game of the season to stay up, and that's how it was. And it's pretty much always been like that at Coventry. But it was a lovely place to live. Daughter mm-hmm. was born there. Supporters seem to like me, mm-hmm. um, and it's still popular. Well, no wonder you now. scored so. Your goal tally was unbelievable, and that's obviously why Manchester United came calling. How did you first hear about that then? Um, Peter Barnes was a teammate of mine at Coventry and he joined Manchester United. And I'm sure the statutory time has gone there where you're being tapped up has passed now <laughs> since 1986. Yeah. And he rang me and he said, Ron, Ron Atkinson was the manager, Ron wants to know, would you be interested in joining Man United? Um. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, did, you, did you talk to the wife about that one? Yeah, straight away, yeah. As you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a couple of days I was... Coming up and coming in to meet Ron, Martin Edwards, Sir Matt Busby. Wow. Asking me what money I wanted. I'm on my own. I've got no one there. Shaking like a leaf and just going, yep, take. They could have offered me anything. <laughs> but they said, what are you on a commentary? I said, told them. And they went, oh, we'll double that. And I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> It was so easy. Um, Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I was on £350 a week at commentary. Mm-hmm. So I came to United and they gave me £700 a week. So... Oh. If they'd have offered me the 350, I would have taken it. Yeah, you still so, would have taken that. Yeah. Um, and Alan Brazil, funny enough, who was at Spurs with, mm-hmm. he was here. He went to Coventry in a swap and we, we swapped clubs. So it was, uh, yeah, no, massive moment. I mean, I, I at that time, I had a chance to go back to Spurs as well. Mm-hmm. They'd had a rethink mm-hmm. and wanted to, me to sign for Spurs. So you can imagine the pool of Man United. If I turned Spurs down, um, it didn't actually get to the point where Spurs offered as much money as United, but there was a chance they were they were going to do that. But United even... You know, I played here in my third ever game and there's 60,000 people in a midweek FA Cup match and, and I'd played well here for Coventry and the, the thought of being this being your home stadium, yeah. playing in front of those fans in, you know, in the Stretford end was just... I mean, we had a game at Coventry once. It's just a, to show how big United are. We had a game... 
at Old Trafford for Coventry and we used to meet the team bus at the training ground. And when we turned up on a Saturday morning to drive up to Manchester, there's about 10 coaches waiting for supporters at Coventry's, in Coventry's training ground. Yeah. And we thought, Chip, there's plenty of support today. They were Man United supporters. <laughs> <laughs> there was 10 coach loads of yeah. Man United supporters in Coventry's <laughs> training ground going up to watch United play against Coventry. So that, that just goes to show, I mean, yeah. you're playing for Spurs is a big club. Coventry was a, a renowned top flight club as well. Great club, lovely training ground, lovely stadium. Um, but then Man United was, is just on another level to, uh, to Spurs and, and, and Coventry. So it was, you know, a thrill to, to, to be asked to come up and, and join United. Did you meet Ron before you signed? Only when I got here to mm-hmm. sign. Um, and I remember him saying to me in the meeting, it was him, Martin Edwards and Matt Busby popped in. Great big table, and I'm sitting quite a distance away from him. I'm 22 years old, really uh, intimidated by the whole thing. As I said, they could have offered me anything. I could have paid. By the time I left, I would have paid to have played for United. And Ron's saying to me, what's your best asset, kid? He had this annoying habit of calling you kid as well, which I didn't like at the time. And uh, what's your best asset, kid? So I said, pace. I knew you'd say that. Go over and get the tea. So I came back with the tea. I know. I know, and I think back now. At the time, I just just do it. Yeah. I come back with a tray of tea, and my hands are literally—I didn't realise—were shaking. Yeah, and all the tea cups and the saucers are rattling around, and I'm thinking, that's when I realised <gasps> I'm nervous. Why has he done that? That's baffling to think that a manager trying to impress a player, trying to sign a and player. Like, What's your best asset, kid? Pace. Need to say that. Go and get the tea. <laughs> did that? Did that <laughs> give you a good off. impression of him? <laughs> no, it didn't put me off. Put it that way. No. Um, but it was later and I thought, well, that was strange, yeah. It's really strange. I've got, I've got no agent. So yeah. you've got no agent. You're literally on your own. I, as I said, 22 years old, just so young. Um, That's so weird. And I'm going to sign whatever is put in front of me. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, Did you it was feel in awe being with Sir Matt Busby at that time? Yeah. yeah. I think there was a thing where you could smell his pipe and that was when everybody knew he was around at the cliff or at Old Trafford and they are, he was around that night so they asked him to come in and say hello and it's hard it's, oh it's incredible Helen and I yeah. didn't exist in 1986 but obviously every time we come to Old Trafford there's the statue of Sir Matt yeah. outside and he's held in such reverence for so many obvious reasons but in 1986 what was the view of him in football like were you did, did he hold any significance to you? Or was oh, it just God, goodness, style, yeah, or? there was there was a, a, a little group of managers that were managers, their royalty. So Matt, Bill Nicholson at Spurs would be the same as well for Spurs supporters. Um, Jock Steen at Celtic, Bill Shankly. So there was a group of managers that were management royalty. And to this club, so Matt Busby was, yeah, massively in awe. You know, and the, you could smell the pipe. It was kind of exciting to think, oh, Matt Busby, you didn't mind even see him. Yeah. <laughs> but you could just yeah. smell the pipe. You know, he's in the building. Um, no, it was a massive, massive. Did he say, did he say much? No, no, he just, he just sat there and was polite and, yeah, and didn't call me kid. Didn't ask me to get the tea. <laughs> um, they, they just asked him to pop in and say hello to yeah. a player that they possibly could be signed and he just wished me luck. And That's what amazing. was your first experience then of going into the dressing room with the lads? Great. I mean, uh, it's uh, I, I didn't have the easiest of times, but the, the players were, were a really good. So group. Mark Hughes was meant to be going to Barcelona. Yes. That's why Ron Atkinson had brought you here, but then that didn't eventually happen. 
No, he did. Until, he went at the end of the season. Yeah, the end. Yeah. So it was always planned he was going to go at the end of the season. Yeah. So I came in, and that season I scored fourteen goals for Coventry and was up quite high in the top scorers of the first division as it was then. And I was I was really looking forward to playing for a better team than Coventry, a team that wins more games than Coventry, and. United that year had started the season off winning their first 10 straight league games. And everyone really thought that was going to be the year after 25 years or so at the time, I think it was, of not winning the league title, that was going to be the mm-hmm. year. I came in the, at the back end of January and I think they, they were already second. So there had been a run of this outstanding form of 10 wins, playing great football, to suddenly it deteriorated. And, and I do look back now and think, I, I came to a team that had just got to the peak and was on its mm-hmm. way down. I didn't know that at the time. And I came and I think we were second. I think Liverpool went on to win the league probably. And I remember thinking I could score goals, you know, if, it, if I can get 14 already this season for Coventry. I, given a chance, I'm not saying I expected to be first choice straight away, but I was in a confident mood that I could. And also I thought I was different to the other strikers here. I was different. You know, I was smaller. I was quickest out of the lot. The other strikers were better at doing other things like holding the ball up, playing, in, you know, backing into central defenders and flicking things on and stuff like that. But I was then it was Frank Stapleton, there was Norman Whiteside, there was Mark Hughes, who were miles better than me at holding the ball up and bringing other players into play. But in terms of running in behind defenders and using my pace, that was, I was different. Mm-hmm. So I thought I might be used off the bench and stuff like that, but it, it never really got going, to be honest. Did, did your, was your relationship with Ron Atkinson, was it, was it good? Or do you feel like maybe that was a reason why you didn't play or? I've no idea to this maybe day. Maybe your tea wasn't good. Yeah, yeah I must have put yeah, too much sugar. <laughs> weren't strong enough. No, it was, it was a weird one because I, I came, played a reserve game on the Monday night. I have not played the reserves for years. Scored. We had West Ham at the weekend. On a, it was Back then it was ITV were getting the rights to show a certain amount of games live on a Sunday afternoon. I, Coventry had never had one on live on ITV. Man United, West Ham, well, West Ham, Man United was on. I was on the bench, came on for about five minutes because Robbo, Brum Robson dislocated his shoulder. So I came on in in the last five minutes in that game. And then the following week, we played Liverpool, Anfield, and I started. And we drew one all. Mm -hmm. And I thought I did all right. You know, I didn't pull up any trees, but I thought it's a good result. Quite an intimidating place at the best of times. But that day we had pepper spray sprayed in our face as we got off the bus. The bus nearly got turned over while we were on it. Um, I remember all running off the team bus to get into Anfield and all our faces were, were burning and you couldn't breathe because it was in your throat and everything. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of weird to remember that day. Again, it was live on ITV on a Sunday afternoon. So I'm thinking two and a half years at Coventry, we were never on telly once live and now it's every week for Man United. So I knew the, our bigger club, the 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 difference was between United and Coventry. So we drew that and that was it. I never played again for the rest of the season. Um, I had one game towards probably April, May, and we were 3-0 up at Newcastle after half an hour. I'm thinking, we might score. That was my thing. I wanted to score. Mm-hmm. And I got Clyde with a keeper and had to have surgery on me and he was stretched off, um, which took me to through the summer um, to recover in time for pre-season. So I started one game at Liverpool and one at Newcastle in the second half of that whole season. So, Did you ever go and speak to... Loads of times, yeah, yeah, I was a pest. 
Um, and how did those conversations no, go? No, they didn't go well. Probably made it worse. Um, I never really felt I got a sh- <clears throat> straight answer. And I kind of early on thought, why have you, why have you bought me? Why have you signed me? Mm-hmm. I mean, he actually said to me, I wish I'd signed Cyril Regis. Instead of you? Yeah. He said that to you? Yep. And I was like, well, <gasps> seriously, how do you choose between the, <laughs> me and Cyril? Cyril was a different type totally of striker completely. Yeah. And, and now I think Ron had worked with Cyril before at West Brom. Yeah. Um, and that kind of didn't help. It was, yeah, I, I never really got it, to be honest. And yeah. it, was, it was a shame. When did your first goal come? I'd been here a year. It was my home debut. Really? Um, so the January I signed in January. Yeah. I had to wait for a year to make my home debut, start a game at home. Wow. I came on a sub lots of times. Well, I say lots of times, dozen times or so probably during that period. First of all, with Ron. Yeah. Um, I got another game for Ron beginning of the next season at Leicester. One more game. So in the whole time, Ron was manager here. I played three away games. So he'd then, gone by this point. By the time you no, made it, yeah. By the time I made my debut at home, it was Sir Alex Ferguson. Okay. Um, oh, and he gave me more crazy. of an opportunity. He he gave you know gave me a chance. Um, I was doing all right in the reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he told me if I you know keep working hard, which was encouraging. Um, and then I eventually got a start here against Arsenal at Old Trafford. Talk us through the goal. What happened? Oh, it was one of the best games of my life, honestly, because I was so frustrated with life. And you felt it was a new beginning mm-hmm. with the manager. My confidence weren't great, to be perfectly honest, because I hadn't played and hadn't scored a goal for over a year now. Um, and it's a famous game again. It gets every anniversary. I see it on social media that it was it was the first battle between United and Arsenal. All those games we hear about where it started, trust me, that's where it started. George Graham was manager mm-hmm. of Arsenal. So you had a competitive Scott as manager of Arsenal, they had a 20-odd game unbeaten run. They came to Old Trafford. They won that they were going to win the league. And it was the first United-Arsenal punch-up. And it was it's really, really cool game to watch. If you yeah. ever want to see how football used to be, yeah. watch the 10, 15 minutes on YouTube of that. It's outrageous. And I look back now, and I, my, I was heavily involved, and I made a goal for Gordon Strachan, mm-hmm. and then Gordon Strachan ripped replied by doing the same for me I had a tap in at the strip for then from six yards out he squared it open goal I've never been so scared in the whole of my life what to, to score it just yeah because I thought I'd miss it because confidence was so mm-hmm. low at the time you just think just get something on it don't hit it too hard and it just went in and I was just I actually I ran away at the strip for the end knowing that was I was leaving you go, we can see it yeah, that it was, one? it's probably harder than I thought. Actually, there's a player or two yeah. around. It's not just yeah, not it's just not really a tap. Yeah. And I yeah. run away there, and I'm thinking, I can leave now. That's actually what you were thinking, yeah. even though Sir Alex Ferguson had come in. It was a clean yeah. start for you. You still yeah. were damaged, maybe by how you'd felt yeah. the year before, and and also the speculation then is of other players joining. Brian McClare was mm-hmm. linked, yeah. and Brian came. Mark Hughes was coming back. I just knew, you know, still had Frank Stapleton, still had Norman Whiteside, still had Peter Davenport. And I knew when to cut me, me losses, to be honest. I knew that I, I wanted, to, didn't want to be sitting, yeah, I didn't want to be sitting every weekend listening to games on the radio or sitting mm. up here watching games. Yeah. I wanted to be part of a team. I wanted to be part of a team. I hated reserve team football with a passion. Mm-hmm. Hated playing games that didn't mean anything. You know, I wanted to wake up in the morning, good or bad, read the newspaper, see you'd scored, see what had happened, see where you were in the league table. 
And I didn't want to waste any time playing any more reserve football. So I left Spurs. I didn't want to stay and be, you know, second best. And and when I came to United, I genuinely thought I, I could make it here. But that was the, a year later, my first home game start. And Did Sir Alex Ferguson, he obviously had known known how long you'd been here and he probably was aware that you hadn't made a start. Did you speak to him before? Yeah, he was, he was great, honestly. He really was. I mean, he, he came in with an open book. He, he wanted to give everybody opportunities and if you worked hard enough and, and stuff like that, he would he would give you a chance. So that was that, that, that day was great for me and I hoped then, I mean, I say I, I felt content I could leave. I wasn't desperate to leave and, it, and if I'd have played the next few games and played well and started scoring goals... But it was always a big if because my confidence was, was mm-hmm. rock bottom. Despite scoring that goal and winning that game, the next week we lost to Coventry in the FA Cup. Um, and then I was probably in and out of the team for the rest of the season and some bad luck on the way. I remember scoring a goal at Chelsea with my left foot on the volley from about 25 yards. Never in my life have I done that from that distance. And it hit the stanchion at the back of the goal. <laughs> Bounced down and it bounced back into the goalkeeper's arms who kicked the ball out and it wasn't given. Oh. What? It wasn't given. So that was like crossed off. I remember playing, starting at Southampton and playing up front with Frank Stapleton and Liam O'Brien got sent off after three minutes. So Frank went back into midfield and you're playing around this one of my appearances. You're playing up front totally on your own against the back four, hanging on for 90 minutes with 10 men. There were silly little things like that you just... Felt you that, felt luck never really went yeah. your way. I remember in that game at Southampton, and he scored a header in the last minute, and Peter Shilton made an unbelievable save to tip it over the bar. And Brian Robson said, Gibbo, you're not going to really believe this. Shilton says that's his best ever save he's ever made. I was like, yeah, I do believe it. Yeah, nothing's going to So it was hard to, to get that momentum back again, which I had at Coventry where mm-hmm. I was playing every week. If I missed a chance, I'm not saying I didn't care, but you didn't think I'm going to be taken off now. Yeah. Or I'm not going to play next week. It was, I've missed a chance, I'll score the next one. And it's a huge difference for, for any player, but I think particularly strikers. Did so. the other strikers at the club ever help you? Yeah, honestly, the, the players, I think they all realised was, it, was, it was tough. Yeah. I used to share the driving into training with Jasper Olsen. We lived nearby and he was always keeping you going. I had a big, massive row with Sir Alex Ferguson before I, my last couple of days at the club. And Mark Hughes and Clayton Blackmore took me off to play golf. I didn't play golf. I just walked around the golf course with them because I was, I'd had this big row and they were calming me down and what we lost track. And we had a reserve game the summer I left um, at Chesterfield. And it was me and John Sieverbeck, who was a player in coincidentally, signed the same week as me. And we left in the same week. John played a few more games than me, but not many more. And we were the only two senior players and it, was a, it literally was an under-18s team with two players in it that I'd already asked to leave. Um, right. Hence the reason I was shoved in the reserves, which was I, no, no issue with that. Um, I, I said I wanted to leave the club. And we got stuck in traffic down at Chesterfield. We were playing their first team and it's a sellout. So we're the reserves of Man United going to Chesterfield. There's 10, 12,000 people in there. And we get to the stadium about 15 minutes before kickoff. Quickly get changed, out on the pitch, 3-0 down after about 25 minutes. So it's a boys' team against the men's mm-hmm. first team. And we come back in the second half and win 4-3. 
and I scored the winner. And it was a really fun game because it was a full house. Mm-hmm. It was a, a good atmosphere. Chesterfield supporters were looking at it and thinking they're playing Man United, not Man United yeah. reserve stroke youth team. And we came in the next morning and Sir Alex Ferguson called all the group in, everybody that played, into his office. So we all crammed in his office. And I thought he was going to say, under the circumstances, that was great. He went berserk at the, the attitude of, from the start of the game. So me being one of the older ones and being a leery little player <laughs> and being at war with the world at the, that time, I stood up and said, no, actually, I think you're wrong. I think, you know, we got there late. We, should, you know, we, we fought back well and we got a win and, and it just turned into an almighty row. Um, he sent everybody else out. Me and him just went for it and I told him that I was packing up football. Um, stormed out, slammed the door. This was all at the cliff. And at the cliff, you can hear it. Everyone can hear it. So Mark Hughes and Clayton Blackmore were there. They said that they heard what had happened. Um, I was in a hotel at the time because I'd sold my house because it was, we knew we were going to be moving. Yeah. So I'd sold the house. So I was in a hotel just down the, around the corner to the, the ground, to Old Trafford. It wasn't particularly nice. Um, <laughs> so that made life even more depressing. Yeah. Um, and they took me for this to this golf course for a walk round and said, you don't have to apologise. So I came in the next morning and early, because I knew everyone knows he's in early, and walked in and said, no, to make the story even better, that night I'm in this crummy hotel down the road, the phone rings and it was Bobby Gould, who had just been appointed manager of Wimbledon. And he said, would you? I know it's Wimbledon. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been here. I went, no, I haven't. He went, don't have much expectation, but will you come and sign? Blah, blah, blah. So it was like a saviour. Yeah. Yes, please. I'm in this crummy hotel. I've just had a row with Alex Ferguson. Life's ending, really. It was, I'm so, so depressed. Um, Do you think it, like, because I know you said a moment ago, like, it was even more depressing. Do you really think you had a depression at that yeah, point? Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you do. You, um, yeah, yeah, there's a few times in my career where mm-hmm. things don't go as you hope and it can be lonely, um, <clears throat> whether it's an injury, long-term injuries and stuff like that. And I came in the next morning early and I said to Fergie, I stopped calling him Sir Alex Fergie, I don't respect, but I've done that, that enough. So I said, went in and said, look, I, I was wrong. I still believe I was right, but I shouldn't have disrespected you and argued. And he said, are you packing up? I said, no. So he said, good. He was fine, mm-hmm. but he, he, everything's cool. So he said, has uh, Bobby Gould rang you? And I went, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and he, went, he went, swear on your daughter's life. <laughs> and I went, can't do that. <laughs> and he went, tell him I want 200 grand and you can go. So I literally went down the stairs at the cliff to the payphone and rang Bobby Gould and said, 200 grand, I can go. <laughs> And then literally waited for five minutes till Fergie went, tell Gibson he can go, and laughed. And off I uh, went, took my boots and went down to Wimbledon. Yeah. So did, did you leave? On good terms, yeah. Yeah, and you yeah, felt it was, like it was, it was okay. He's always been good since and great. really helpful. When I was coaching at Wickham, if we needed a training ground in Manchester, we used to use Littleton Road. Um, he, yeah, always been, we left on good terms and he's always been, I'm not close to him, obviously, but sure. over the years, but if I needed to get him, you know, in touch, always been, been terrific. But it was just funny the way it was a lot back then. You tell him I want 200 grand, yeah. you can go. And I went downstairs and used the payphone in the cliff. <laughs> and then yeah, literally then 
and hour later, driving down to London and joining Wimbledon. Did you have regrets leaving Manchester? Yeah, United? yeah. I, do you know what it still irritates me now? How really? it went. I'm extremely proud to have played here. Um, and proud of the association to the extent we're doing stuff like this and really proud to have scored a goal. Spurs fans scoring against Arsenal at the Stretford end. You know, in my, I wanted <laughs> yeah. to get more than one goal, but, it, you know, I, my, I had schoolmates that supported Man United. They used to come and watch me here. Yeah. And and just that pride of, you know, all right, it didn't go, I'm not going to become a Man United legend, of course, but to score a goal for Man United, it, yeah, why not? I mean, it's I take that, I'm proud of that, but it still irritates the life out of me. I didn't hit the ground running when I came, when I was confident, the In team needed a boost, and I should have been, I, I feel I should have been let off the leash. And, and with that confidence I had, mm-hmm. With a team that probably lost a bit of confidence, I would have thought, you know, in that, if I'd have played 10, 12 games towards, you know, after joining immediately, I, I think with the form I was in, I would have got half a dozen goals. That might have yeah. been a whole different story then. Um, but by the time the end of the season came at United, Peter Davenport had signed as well. So there was another competitor for a, a position. So that's kind of why I always felt from then on. Mm-hmm. And being at a big club like United comes with pressure when things are not going well. People do criticise in, in the press. There's always a list of players that, that should be sold and you're thinking, I ain't implied mm-hmm. and I'm on this list. Everybody list that comes out is, he's got to go, he's got to go, he's got to go. Before social media, so it was all newspaper-based Which press, everybody really. bought, though. And it was, it, yeah. was, it was upsetting. You think, oh, I want to, you know, I haven't had a chance. Mm-hmm. And, and even now, occasionally, I get a bit... Grief on Twitter from the odd support from United. And I just think, I look at their picture and I think, you're not old enough to, the, it's just the narrative that. Sam. You were it's right. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 it's, you know, I, I'm, not t- I'm not saying it's everybody else's fault. By the time I left the club, the second season, particularly under Fergie, there were some games I didn't play well in, but my confidence was yeah. rock- yeah. one at Spurs. We got beat 4 0. We all played bad, but I was, it, was, it was depressing. And I, you know, I think that was probably the final straw. I thought I, I wasn't sure I'd ever play to any level again. Um, Do you think players are better protected from situations like that now? No, probably not. Probably because of social media. Yeah, I think it's probably worse. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't even look at social media. I don't put my name in unless anyone mentions me directly. I never just put my name in because you get it on criticism and commentating. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing a classico, yeah. Oh, you can imagine if I put my name in, there will be someone from Barcelona or Real Madrid, fans yeah. in England that will find something. So I, I can't imagine what it must be like to, to be a player. You just can't look at it. Um, Do you think that period, though, that you went through here, you've you've mentioned how at times you felt depressed. Did that help you when you were a coach yeah. to have that perspective of what you'd been through? And I, I'm, I'm always grateful for the fact, this might sound strange, I was never a manager I was a coach, so you're that, you can be that, you're like go between mm-hmm. your, your player's friend, yet at the same time you filter what the manager wants to hear or should hear, and you have to filter what the players want you to tell the manager. And a lot of that mm-hmm. is based on you know, well-being and stuff like that. And if someone's not playing, it's important to speak to them and they might not want to go and knock on the manager's door, but they'll speak to me because it's... The guy I worked with, Laurie Sanchez, I'm a nicer guy than him. Um, <laughs> but that was the role. I mean, yeah, yeah, that was the role. I could be close to the players, he couldn't. And that was so I enjoyed the role of being an assistant manager. 
Um, really did enjoy because it. Because you probably experienced the highs of football when you're scoring goals every week yeah. and the lows as well. And I never really felt like that, that probably there was not many in my career, but it was either the manager, the, the assistant manager never really got close to you enough, to be honest. So, it was, yeah, I guess it was something not unique that I did, but it was something that changed over that period of time where, you know, in, in the past it was sort yourself out, yeah. toughen up, man up, deal with it, that sort of thing. So One thing we have to ask about is how did Johnny Evans get his debut for Northern Ireland? <laughs> well, my son, Man United fan, as we said earlier in the podcast, he was a pre-season friendly in United. I was living in Spain. Mm-hmm. I was assistant manager with Northern Ireland. And my son was watching an Amsterdam tournament. United were playing in it. And Johnny was playing or on the bench or coming on or something. And my son got in championship manager and looked, because he fanatical. So he would look at every detail about every player. And he was, Dad, do you know this Johnny Evans can play for Northern Ireland? He's, he's from Northern Ireland. He's, <laughs> Nor- he's, he's Northern Irish. Yeah. And we're like, what? And I rang Laurie. Laurie went, no, that, that, no one's ever mentioned him. And literally, so that must have been pre-season. And then we played, early in the season, we played Iceland on the Saturday afternoon at Windsor Park. And we got beat 3-0 by Aruka Johnson. He destroyed us. And Laurie was under the threat of getting the sack. Even though six months before we'd beaten England. And when we took over, Northern Ireland hadn't scored a goal for 14 matches. Wow. And we, in our first game, we lost 4-1 against Norway. The crowd went ballistic because we scored. And Laurie went, don't, don't take a lot to please these supporters. We lost 4-1, but it was like we'd won, qualified for the World Cup. But things got better and better and stuff like that. But this Iceland game was a big blow because we thought we could have a chance of competing in the knockout, in the group to, to get to the, I think it was the World Cup, must have been the World Cup. And we got lost to Iceland 3-0 and we had Spain in three days' time. And Laurie said, why don't we, our defence were poor that day, why don't we get that Johnny Evans in? And literally all we'd seen of him was my son and showing me, living in Spain, watching it on telly, Johnny coming on, I think. So we got him in and Johnny turned up, dressed in a suit, looked the part, firm handshake. So before he played, Laurie went, I like him. (laughs) (laughs) Because tall, Mm -hmm. looked an athlete and everything. We started training and 10 minutes into training, David Healy come running across. I don't know if Johnny knows. David Healy come running across during the training session. Went, He's got to play on tomorrow. I think it's the day before <laughs> yeah. we play Spain. So he went, yeah, I know, I know. But where, where? Because the, the centre-halves weren't bad. It was left-back mm. was a problem. So Laurie called Johnny over and said, have you ever played left-back? And Johnny went, no, but I'll give it a go. So Laurie went, well, have 20 minutes at left-back in this practice match. And then Johnny played the next day and... We were throwing in this 17-year-old against Raul, David Villa <laughs> and Fernando Torres. And we won, 3-2. Um, David Healy got a hat-trick. Johnny was mind-blowing. Um, and for Northern Ireland to get that type of result, under those, you know, the, the circumstances of getting beat 3-0 at home by Iceland and nearly getting the sack, which would have been harsh, to three days later beating the best, one of the best teams in the world. And it was funny because that Spain team, that was a turning point for them mm-hmm. because they lost to us. You imagine that the, the, the stories in Spain um, and Luis Aragon has just ripped that team apart. It was the last cap for Raul. Yeah. Um, and there was a number of other players that went 
Then Sergio Ramos played right back that night. He then becomes centre-half. Iniesta was on the bench as well. He then become Iniesta. Um, so we did Spanish football a favour by getting rid of the old guard from Spain. It was an incredible story for, you know, for Johnny to play before he played for Man United and to play for Northern Ireland against you know, some of the best players in the world who looked early on like they were going to tear us apart and they didn't. We hung on in there and... As I say, former United player David Healy got a hat trick. It was, uh, I was, that's why I said it, one, it is one of the most enjoyable parts of my career because it was, it was fun. Great set of players. Yeah. Support was incredible. I learned so much about Northern Ireland and the home games at Windsor Park at Belfast were an absolute thrill. That can't have been the pinnacle for you, though, surely. That was the FA Cup final. Yeah, it has to be. <laughs> I mean, I'm so grateful every Cup final day to think of. Got a medal, yeah. um, got a shirt, played for an infamous team, mm-hmm. uh, massive underdogs, and we beat one of the, the biggest names in world football. Clearly the best team that year. The weird, but they're a weird mob, Wimbledon. Um, was that, what was the, what was, it was the, good fun. Was it the, the crazy game in the culture club? Is that the, yeah. so yeah. obviously, yeah, yeah, you lot were all crazy and Liverpool were allegedly yeah. cultured. They, they, yeah, John Watson said at the end, the crazy gang are beating the culture club. Um, massive underdogs. Um, my first year at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, to, to win an FA Cup. Um, Wimbledon was it's, it's just bonkers. Did it, did it matter bonkers. to you to beat Liverpool because you'd been here? No, no, no. Lie, I mean, Liverpool, massive respect to Liverpool. They'd won the league pretty much every year I played football in the top flyers. About 12, 14 years, they won it. About 10 of those. No, it was... Uh, <laughs> When I joined Wimbledon, I went to those talks with Bobby Gould and he took me to a pub in Wimbledon Village, which is a really nice part of London. None of the players ever lived in Wimbledon Village at Wimbledon because it was out of their league. Um, I went as the highest transfer record signing, the highest paid player on 500 quid a week ever and the highest paid at that time. And and we, we ended up playing Liverpool in the cup final that year. Um, but Bobby took me to this pub and my wife to a pub in Wimbledon Village. I agreed the deal. Mm-hmm. Took a wage drop from United, didn't get paid off by United to leave, just wanted to get off and play football. So it took a big wage drop, which is a tough thing, to go from living up north to London yeah. prices and yeah. buying a house and stuff. was It was it was, it was was an issue, but I, we agreed to do it. Then he took me to the ground. So he didn't take me to the ground yeah. until I agreed to sign <laughs> in this really nice pub in Wimbledon Village. Then he took me to the tricky ground. I couldn't believe what I was... I mean, it was not... If he'd have taken me to the ground, I still would have signed... It was a non-league ground. It was it was a dump, um, but it was our dump. And I remember Vinnie Jones driving in in a Volkswagen pickup truck. He'd just been doing some work on top of what he was doing playing football, some building work. Um, and Dennis Wise was there and stuff like that. And it was then the next day I went to the training ground, which was even worse than the ground. And there was a little period where you think, this can't be real. It was a school training with lorry driver's calf. That was where we trained and changed and it was, it was incredible. But the, the spirit was ridiculous. It was an infamous team in terms of it was, there was two or three players that pushed things as far as they could. We had a, 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 a reputation of being crossing the line when it comes to being aggressive. But that came from years before I went there and the team that won the cup final wasn't particularly that bad. Two or three players caused the problems. Um, the stories you hear from when they're in the lower leagues are much worse than anything you've ever heard when they're in the top division. 
Um, and it, it was just, we thought we could win every game. There was this attitude that we were the lowest paid players in the league. Um, at 200 grand, that was the highest ever transfer fee paid. And you end up in my first year there, we beat everybody. Honestly, we literally won. We, uh, we won here. We won against Liverpool. We won at Spurs regular. We used to beat Spurs easy at Wild Lane. And it was just incredible to know this attitude of players that were bought from the lower divisions and non-league football. If we had a style of play that was intimidating, we had a stadium that was a dump that no one liked coming to play at. And we had a lot more work went into it than people thought. It was the mm. hardest working, fittest group of players I've ever played with. Was that um, the most enjoyable time of your career? No, it, oh, no, no, it wasn't enjoyable. No. It was far from enjoyable. <laughs> Honestly, training was a slog and every game was a slog. But surely if you're winning every game, that know, has to be enjoyable. That, but it was, it, it was kind of that hard work that wasn't enjoyable. The cup final, even the cup final wasn't enjoyable. You were shattered after that game. And, and I played with a hernia, a strained medial ligament and a broken foot in the cup final. So it was hard to enjoy it knowing that I was lying through my teeth saying I was fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you I, wanted to be on that pitch. Yeah, I had Cup surgery on the day. Tuesday after the cup final. I was already yeah. booked in for that. No, I'll be all right. I can do it. Um, and it, But it, it, was, it was hard. It's enjoyable now looking back at I won a medal, my only medal. That's the enjoyable part. But it wasn't there to be enjoyable. It's cross-country running and... Every single day and 11 v 11 and the training was boring and I didn't have to ever think when I played for United, Spurs, Coventry, you always aren't thinking during the game in that, no, just keep doing the same thing time and time again. So all I do is keep running, chasing down the channel, cutting the back pass off to the goalkeeper. That was, you didn't have to think, but it was, it was repetitive every single day. They used to do stats and that at Wimbledon long before anybody else. This is where people don't realise the the thought process that went into it. You had the apprentices marking each player. So how many crosses? They used to have a thing called how many reaches, which I've never heard since. Reach was channel ball. But you had to put it, it had to reach the final third. So the fullback, it was his job. How many of those passes in one game could he do? How many crosses could the winger do? Both sides. All these little things and you had the, the apprentices were writing these down. Do and, you ever and think the about that, sorry, when you're commentating on Spanish yeah. football? No, oh God, <laughs> How yeah. different those worlds yeah, are. Yeah, I remember we had Laurie Cunningham come on as sub in the FA Cup semi-final. Laurie joined us, Man United player, former Man United player. Compl- why be, our left winger broke his leg um, during the cup runs. We had no left winger. And Peter Barnes was offered the opportunity, but turned it down because it was Wimbledon. And then Laurie Cunningham didn't have a club, former Real Madrid player of Man United. And he turned up at a training ground. He was an incredible person, incredible footballer. And he came on in the FA Cup semi-final with about 10 minutes to go. We'd, we'd beaten Luton 2-1. And he did a square pass across, across the halfway line with the outside of his foot. Every single player manager went berserk. <laughs> a square pass. No, ever. Don't ever, because it means it could be cut out yeah. and they could attack. Everybody we went berserk. <laughs> everybody went berserk and he was like, it went to one of our players, but it completely shocked everyone that someone didn't kick it that way. It might go back to go forward yeah. or it always goes that way. And Laurie ended up doing this like stylish outside of the foot pass across the halfway line. Everyone's going, are you mad? Are you mad? What are you doing? That, it was like, so it was, that was that repetitiveness all the day, mm-hmm. every day, 
every game kind of was boring, kind of hurt your neck because you're backing into centre-halves and you, it's exhausted after every game. It knocked years off my career, literally, physically. Because, I'm because convinced of, of that. that to... I packed up at 31 with a terrible ankle injuries, um, wear and tear. I would never at that time have bought a player from Wimbledon. It'd been there for six years. It's <laughs> <laughs> miles on the clock. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, training every day was just like playing a game. You're kicking lumps out of each other and then you finish with a long distance cross country oh. run. And then it was just so hard work. We had Don Howard's coach. Mm-hmm. Don at that time was England's coach, assistant coach. And he came with Bobby Gould. And so Don was a, he was a maestro, honestly. He was an incredible coach, um, incredible bloke, and we wouldn't have won the cup without Don as, as coach. But it was... I remember sitting down after about four games, Don Howe and Bobby Gould, they wanted to change the attitude. We were getting too many yellow cards, possibly too many red cards, and they wanted to clamp down on discipline, and they sat us down, were talking out in the field, and the players turned against them and, and said, you either do it our way... Or you'll be gone because we ain't changing. We've come up through four divisions, and if we're not getting players booked and we're not getting players sent off, that means we're not being as aggressive. We're not going to change. It's up to you to deal with it. And it was like I've only been there about a month. And thinking, <laughs> That's a message. It's an old manager of mine that I worked with at Coventry. Yeah. And I remember at Coventry, Bobby Gould saying to me, "To all of us, call me Gaffer or Governor, Boss." And then when he goes to Wimbledon, they're all calling him. Nicknames, they call him Bob. Yeah. And I loved it. I mean, I used You're to like, say, anything goes up, here. Up, Bob, and he's going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, so it was a, a togetherness that was there, but they had their methods. When Dave Bassett was manager and took them up the leagues, and when Bobby Gould took over, they weren't going to change it for him. And it was a coming together between everybody in the end. Okay, we'll try to cut down on the red cards, the yellow cards, but we've still got to be the essence of what Wimbledon Football Club was. seven or 8,000 supporters every game. Stadium held about 10,000. It was for them to do what they did from 11 years to non-league to winning the FA Cup mm. with no money. They were the lowest budget in every division, not just the top division, yep. every division. Um, the lowest salaries in every division. It was in- incredible. Um, six years there was... It, it, some of it was fun, but it, I remember it mainly just for being a slug and hard work but I love the enjoyable honesty. bit was sitting there and beat Spurs 5-1 or five, yeah. we beat Chelsea 5-1 at Stamford Bridge and just knocking over big teams on a regular basis Terry I think we have to finish now oh I, yeah I guess I do like <laughs> Well, you can see why I'm in football commentary it would, now, yeah, can't it would you? be a joy to listen and listen and listen. Uh, but I don't think we're allowed to just keep going. No. So thank you so much Number for 20 years to, to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a no, it's been real pleasure. pleasure just to listen to your stories. It's been yeah. wonderful. Mate, thank oh, you. Pleasure is mine and always good to come back up to OT and see the place again. What a lovely chatty man. Really nice, really, really nice guy. Really warm. Very warm. Good word to describe him. Yeah. As soon as he came into the room, he was just so friendly, lovely, yeah. very open about his life. Really open. And, and also like open in some aspects that you would understand if you didn't want to be. Like like saying that at points he, he really was very depressed with football and how Sir Alex gave him an opportunity at United after Big Ron had gone. And obviously his relationship with Big Ron wasn't the best. 
And by that point, by his own admission, he just he wasn't into it. He was, his heart wasn't in it and he was glad he scored and then just wanted out and actually took a big pay cut to get out in the end. The tea story. Can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? It's so funny. Well, obviously not funny, probably not the right word, but yeah, I was It's just quite, so weird. It's so, <laughs> such a strange story. I wonder what Sir Matt thought of that, just sat there watching that happen. Yeah. He said he didn't even speak, did he? Yeah. Just... His whole relationship with Ron Atkinson seems to have been very strange. The fact that he told him he didn't really want him, the fact that he told him he wished he'd bought uh, Cyril Regis instead and mm-hmm. didn't seem to give him a lot of opportunities is sort of madness. Why make the effort to sign someone? Another reminder, I think, that podcast, which we've mentioned so many times, is that football can be a lonely place. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, and people forget that. And even the fact that you just click your fingers you've moved to another city mm-hmm. moving your wife your children and it's not always plain sailing for people you know that people do go through hard times in football yeah I just think sometimes everybody needs a little reminder of that I would say yeah absolutely You've, I mean yeah, I always think um, you, just, you just forget I think during a game that footballers are people and they have emotions and yeah. like if someone's having a bad game you get really annoyed about it but I don't know maybe they're kid was up sick all night or something and yeah, yeah, you just true. forget things like that exist and then so like true. we do this and we talk to people and you remember that actually they're trying to play the game as people in the world who are trying to exist with a a full facet of emotions that they're going through yeah one thing as well that shocked me was when he was talking about the fa cup and just his time you know, in the few months previous, I thought yeah. he'd be like, oh, that was the best moment of my life. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one didn't go according to plan. Obviously, he won no. the FA Cup, but he said it was a slog every week. Yeah, and it was just getting it was through. Yeah, I didn't expect that's the first time I've heard someone say that, actually. Yeah. Particularly about the FA Cup, because it was every boy who boys. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Dream. I just wish we had more time to talk about the Wimbledon era. Yeah, I, think, I suppose that's the thing with him because he's done so much in the game. As much as this is a United podcast, actually, he's a person you just want to explore every facet of his mm-hmm. career within the world of football. Like scouting is so interesting to me. Like, yeah. what's he actually looking for when he looks at someone who's playing football? Because people like like Zabaleta wasn't wasn't in the Premier League for a laugh, was he? He's he was a top player. Yeah. And he spotted him. So what's he seen? How does he... And then he just goes from scouting and just like falls into Spanish football commentary as well. Yeah. I know. It's amazing. There's hope hope for us yet, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what we're going to fall into. <laughs> and my suspicion is not scouting. <laughs> you never know. I don't think it's playing, but... Well, let's not rule anything scoured... out. I did yeah. work okay. out okay. that I could qualify for both the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. You did. So... There's another there's another opportunity there just there's in case another avenue. Continue there's still another to keep avenue. that door closed. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get in touch um, with the IFA for that one for you. I'll do that. Thank you very much. Tell yeah, them I'd you're available. That. Yeah, that would be okay. great. Um, most weekends. <laughs> Some emails then. Fred Hoy says, Hello, Manchester United podcast. I'm called Fred. I'm 12 years old and I have been a lifelong Manchester United fan and have grown up with the likes of Jesse Lingard, Marcus Rashford, and David De Gea. I live in London and play right back for my school team. Also, my mum is a big Varane fan. Thanks. And I hope I make it onto the podcast. And he does send another one. Uh, I forgot to mention that over half term, I'm going to see my first Manchester United match versus Southampton. So I can't wait. And I hope we win. Go on, Fred. Thank you very much indeed, Fred. 
Very kind of you to email. Yeah, email twice. Well done. Yep. Um, I've got one here from Chitalu Simpansa who says, Hi, I'm going to greet you in my language. We say Muli Shani and you respond Tuliwino, which I hope I've pronounced correctly, Gigi. Um, he says, I just want to start off by saying the Luke Chadwick episode was hilarious. I don't remember the last time I laughed so much while I was alone. I noticed you decided to do something unique and host a commentator. A listener even suggested hosting a referee, which I still think is a great idea. I think it would also be great to do a special episode with Helen and Sam as guests. I know they'll be humble and say there's nothing special or interesting to tell about themselves, but we'd just like to know a little bit more about the other hosts since Maisie has already been there. Thanks for the work you do and giving us something to look forward to on Mondays. Chi-Chi Simp, who's in Zambia, which is amazing. Amazing. My hero. Thank you so much. Helen. Do you reckon there's something interesting or special that you would want to talk about if you were... About me? No. Yeah. No. Nothing interesting about me. Oh, that's not true, is it? Otherwise people wouldn't ask. Sam, however, is ready to go with his very own episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm fascinating. I'm a very interesting person. <laughs> Do you know what I would say? I don't like talking about myself. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I think the problem is if we tried to do a podcast about us, we would naturally investigate the person asking the questions yeah because our instinct is to ask rather than to answer so it would just fall apart it wouldn't work um but thank you very much for the email Chi. uh that is it for this week's episode of the united podcast if you want to get in touch you can our address is in the show notes but it's united podcast at mainunited.co.uk and we will see you on the next one if you want to if you're not listening on the app you can subscribe and you can give us a review and all that kind of stuff because it's really cool and we appreciate it but if not don't even worry about it just have a lovely day bye bye